Hello, this is Jeff Otis, partner at Evergreen, and you're listening to a deep dive with Evergreen on the Evergreen Exchange. I hope you enjoy this 30-minute conversation between myself and Evergreen Investment Committee members Jeff Dix and Garman Howell. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey, listener, this episode requires an extra disclosure. Jeff Otis is an employee and partner of Evergreen GovCal. All views and opinions expressed by Jeff and any guest of the podcast are solely the individual's views and do not necessarily reflect the views of Evergreen GovCal. Evergreen GovCal's clients may hold securities mentioned in this podcast at any given time. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or be considered investment advice. Enjoy the episode. All right, we got a fun one in store today. I'm joined by two of my colleagues at Evergreen. We've got Evergreen senior analyst Garman Howell with us. And Garman, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jeff. We're also joined by Evergreen co-CIO Jeff Dix. And Jeff, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be here. I think it's my first time interviewing uh, and having a discussion with two of our investment committee members at the same time, but I'm glad that I have both of you. Uh, the two of you work on our on our chart book uh, piece that we put together regularly, almost quarterly for uh, for clients and for followers on what we're seeing in the economy, what we're seeing in the markets. And you guys did a really good one uh, that we just posted, and I want to I want to talk through that and get some of your insights into the chart book that you guys put together. So I'm going to start with. Jeff, uh, and Jeff, this question is for you. So since the last time we chatted, a lot has changed in markets. Uh, let's talk about the rally that we've seen recently, why markets are up, uh, at least up until the last week or so, and what's been driving that. Absolutely, Jeff, and you're right. I think last time I was on the podcast, the S&P was down 20, the NASDAQ was down 30, pretty much every global equity index was in a bear market. And at that point, we certainly were were saying it was a good buying opportunity, and we felt like we'd get a, at least a little bit of a bounce. This has been more aggressive than I think we anticipated. From mid-June to mid-August, the S&P rallied 17.5%. Uh, last week, before this recent sell-off, the market was only down 8% on the year. At one point, the S&P was down 23.5%, so a huge rebound. And you asked what drove this bounce. I think it was a few things. One, the market was oversold. So if you look at technicals like the relative strength index, it was down at 30. You know, when you get down at 30 or under, you almost always get at least some sort of bounce. Uh, we also saw inflation rates start to ease. CPI and core CPI move lower month over month. Um, and if you look, actually look at um, consumer prices, if you look at energy, oil, and natural gas prices have come down. Natural gas moved lower from eight and a half to five. Uh, oil went from 120 to 85. As a result, gasoline prices at the pump moved from five to four dollars on average. Uh, in Washington, they're a bit higher, of course, as you know. And gas prices do have a, a significant impact on consumer sentiment. You know, the ability to have discretionary spending. And really, overall market sentiment, you know, gas prices do have an impact there. Now, I'd say since we ran the chart book, uh, some of these things have changed. Uh, WTI is now at 94, gas is up to 760, and now you're starting to see markets head lower once again. 
but you know, in June and July, agricultural prices came down. You saw corn and wheat come down sharply, and maybe most importantly, at least in terms of Fed policy, inflation expectations started to move down. Uh, there's a market-based kind of five-year inflation expectation number. It was at 3.75, and basically it had headed straight up all year. That moved down to two and a half, um, and that's a pretty important indicator for Fed policy. That that rate's now moved up to 2.8, and again, you've started to see the market move back down. Um, but taking this to another level, the market started to price in a Fed pivot by mid-2023, um, where previously you had interest rate hikes kind of into next year. You now have uh, market-based futures on interest rates pricing in a Fed cut in mid-2023, and that should provide some relief to the markets. You've also seen long-term interest rates come down, and you know every investment's kind of spread off Treasury yields, so that helps valuation. And the last thing I'd say is we ran this chart in the chart book, but consumer confidence was more bearish than 2020 in March, and it's been more bearish than the it was more bearish than the financial crisis. And if you look back to those two points in times, low points of consumer confidence have actually been good time to buy stocks. So, I mean, all, all that stuff kind of played a factor, but certainly we were happy to see the market bounce back. So, one follow-up question to that is, would you say most of the good news then is priced in, in terms of some of the stuff that you just rattled off, or like, what's the negative factors the market's dealing with at this point? Yeah, I think you worded that well, Jeff. In June, I think if you you know rewind a couple months, most of the negative news was priced in. Now, as of last last week, I think a fair amount of positive news is priced in. You know, and into that rally, we certainly were doing quite a bit of selling, as you know. We discussed a lot of the positive factors driving the market up, but I think there are you know quite a few negatives out there. You know, first, I think you're seeing a lot of economic data rollover. Manufacturing indices in the U.S. are in contraction, especially kind of forward-looking measures like new orders, employment. And actually, the New York Manufacturing Index came out uh, last week and had the second biggest drop on record. The housing market is rolling over sharply. You know, you look at existing home sales, new home sales, housing starts, building permits. All of those are falling sharply. I think today, it was the the new home sales number came out and it was down another 12%. And this was from before we ran this chart. And new home sales are now at half the rate they were at the peak in 2021. Last time we chatted, we mentioned prices were going to follow because prices tend to follow with a lag. Uh, but you're starting to see that happen. The median sales price for new homes fell 12% from March to June. They're still rising on a year-over-year basis. They're still up 7%. But in April, they were up 21.3%. So you're really starting to see some pricing pressure now as well. You know, and one question I know you get asked this all the time is, and and we all do, is are we in a recession? And I, and I think that's a tricky one uh, for sure. Parts of our economy in recession, you know, housing, uh, manufacturing, uh, interest rate sensitive sectors are certainly slowing and and are likely in a recession. But if you look at you know, and also we have the two negative GDP prints uh, for real GDP, GDP, which is technically a recession. But part of it, you know, if you look at nominal growth of the economy, it's still running over 8%. So the overall economy is still growing despite, despite the near-term inflation rate being above the nominal growth rate. I know that's kind of a fairly complicated statement, but overall the economy is still growing at a strong rate, employment strong, 
the U.S. economy created over 3 million jobs already this year. Um, the service sector's growing as well. So overall, I don't think we're quite there yet in terms of recession, but we could certainly dip into a recession. But I think it'll probably be of the mild variety. And overall, consumers, businesses are in good shape. So it seems like we can come out of this slowdown on solid footing. But for sure, things are slowing a bit. I got a question for Gehrman. Uh, Gehrman, what are we thinking about equity markets moving forward? Yeah, it's a good question, Jeff. And I think overall, I think Jeff uh, just touched on a lot of the kind of the key components there. But I think in general, we're we're fairly optimistic um, on equity markets going forward, at least on a you know one to two year basis um, at this point. Um, you know, with that being said, we're not quite out of the woods yet. You know, the Fed's gonna. Um, start to to tighten their balance sheet quite a bit over um, the next uh, about a year or so. And so, you know, that tends to be kind of a a tricky period for markets. In general, though, we would look to be adding on a a pullback um, or any kind of major down leg in the market, um, largely on what Jeff just touched on. You know, corporate fundamentals in general look pretty decent. Um, Leverage overall, especially, you know, companies that refinance during covid have pretty low interest burdens. So um, in general, uh, companies are growing, employees are, you know, employment growth has been pretty decent this year. Um, And so it looks like, you know, overall equities should be um, in a much better place than they were even last year when things were a little bit extended and overheated. But that being said, we're, you know, we're cautious. We're not looking to get all the way in right away. Um, We'd be looking to to kind of pick and choose the, the moments where we Kind of add exposure. Yeah, and I think you, you I think you touched on corporate profits there. But how were earnings in Q2, and what's our outlook for corporate profits moving forward? Yeah, earnings actually were were pretty decent overall. You know, I think there was a lot of bearish uh, sentiment going into the quarter. Jeff touched on briefly, kind of the sentiment readings, um, kind of flashing those you know pretty big warning signals. Um, but overall, you know, the the overall S and P was expected to grow about six percent um, earnings uh, this quarter. Came in about nine percent. Now, a lot of uh, market pundits and, and overall market participants are starting to strip out energy from that and kind of trying to put a little bit of a bearish tone on the earnings that we just went through, uh, earnings season that we just went through. Right. But I think you know that's not quite fair. Um, you know, obviously, energy has had quite the tailwind um, with rapidly uh, rising energy, uh, both from the Ukrainian conflict and war. Um, but also just from supply chain dislocations from kind of COVID. Um, I think, you know, one that's unfair to do, energy is a, you know, growing part of the S&P, um, and especially at Evergreen, they're, they're a pretty large percentage of our portfolios. But there's also factors in other parts of the economy and in the market overall that had things that were kind of going against them. So financials had built up quite a reserve, um, you know, rainy day fund, so to speak, um, and the concerns over what COVID would bring in terms of defaults. Um, and as the defaults really never came, uh, those banks then reversed those those reserves that they had. So um, that was an earnings boost last year. Um, this year, that was a, a headwind. So it was going to be very tough for, you know, segments like fi- financials to, to beat um, on a year-over-year basis. Um, but not only financials, you know, if you look at consumer discretionary, um, you know, I think a lot of people forget that stimulus checks were sent out in March of 2021. So that would have um, kind of fueled the consumer over the second quarter of 2021. Um, so, again, kind of a tough comparison. So, you know, overall, I think the, the kind of the takeaway that we had from this recent 
earnings season was. Um, you know, fundamentals on the corporate side looked pretty decent. You know, growth uh, overall has uh, been a lot stronger than analysts expect. And, you know, a, kind of a reassuring dynamic in the market is that, you know, when a company beat estimates this quarter, they were rewarded um, going, you know, share price went up a fair bit. Um, but when companies missed on earnings, they weren't necessarily punished unless it was kind of a structural issue with that company. So it seemed like the the, the market had reset its expectations and overall was was pretty pleased with uh, overall uh, performance. Um, now looking forward, you know, profit margins are still fairly elevated versus history. You know, that being said, there's there's a lot of moving parts there. So you know, we don't expect any major collapse in profits. Um, across the board, um, but it will be tough for um, companies to kind of rapidly increase their profit margins. Um, you know, for one, inflation is still fairly high. Supply chains are still um, not quite back to where they need to be, um, and overall growth uh, is is starting to moderate. So, you know, we're not necessarily calling for um, any major decrease, but we're also not calling for a major spike uh, going forward. So, um, overall, I think expectations have been more or less reset um, to, to kind of a more healthy level going forward. Still, I would I would uh, say fairly positive news. I, mean, I remember so much chatter, so much conversation, and to be fair, fear several months ago on just wait for earnings season, just wait, just wait, right? Like these numbers are going to be terrible and, and a lot of a lot of commentary in the market on that. And then so for, for us to go through that and even X energy may be flat, uh, sorry, X energy going through that and seeing flat numbers, I would think that the market's taken at least a, maybe a, a sigh of relief uh, with those figures. So uh, I would say that's fairly decent news. Uh, either of you want to talk about valuations right now for stocks and if there's any areas we're looking to add to at this point? Sure. Um, you know, valuations have, have come down, obviously, um, with the pullback. You know, kind of in the depths of this pullback this year, uh, valuations on the S&P on a, on a 2022 basis briefly reached 15 times earnings, which is a fairly attractive level when you look back throughout history. Um, now, given that we've had a little bit of a bounce, valuations have come up a tad. Um, but even then, on a forward-looking basis, um, it's hard to say that they're necessarily extended just around um, 18 to 19 uh, times 2022 earnings. Um, and so, again, you know, expectations have kind of been reset. There's been a lot of the excesses that are kind of more or less out of the out of the market at this point, or at least close to being uh, out of the market. Um, and so, you know, overall, I think the key right now is to look for businesses that have you know good fundamentals, good balance sheets, um, good products, and, and a good management team. Um, but within that kind of broad statement, I think in specifically, there's a few sectors that have been overly punished. Um, one of those is financials. You know, we saw a lot of the banks get punished quite a bit on "quote unquote" falling profits. But again, you know, they had a lot of the reserves that um, um, helped them out last year. So, not a not a real uh, falling profits there. So, you know, looking for financial services companies that are, you know, down 30 to to 50 percent despite fundamentals staying quite resilient. Um, you know, industrials are are looking fairly attractive at this point, especially if we continue to see companies you know, start to to really push onto the onshoring. So moving a lot of distribution and manufacturing more close to the, the United States, their kind of headquartered domiciles. And, you know, overall valuations look pretty decent there. Um, and then energy, I think, is another one that we would highlight. You know, uh, even though it's had quite the run, um, we'd be looking to, to add to that um, on a pullback. 
you know, overall, the energy markets globally look fairly tight, especially as the, the war continues on over in Ukraine. Um, so, you know, on a forward-looking basis, it, you know, it seems like a good time to be to be looking to add energy, but again, kind of not quite throw the bucket at any time, just, you know, pick and choose a, a good moment in a pullback. And, you know, obviously, healthcare is also a, a pretty decent segment to look at. You know, there's been a lot of negative headline news for, for healthcare in general, really, since um, drug pricing reform started to become a topic several years ago. You know, now that that's come out, it's, it's you know, a healthy step for the, the segment overall, both for the consumer and the companies um, that are in that sector. So, you know, again, just looking for fundamentally sound businesses, but within those, those sectors specifically. That's good stuff. I mean, and I know that stocks normally carry the headlines for everybody and, and consume the air of most meetings, right? Of like, where, what's going on in the stock market, what area of the stock market. But Jeff, I want your thoughts on the bond market. It's so, you know, it's interesting to me in so many conversations, clients and other investors will look at me like bonds, like I'm not gonna invest in bonds. Why would I invest in bonds? But I want you to talk about the bond market, uh, what's gone on with the uh, valuations, right? And, and what areas we really like in the bond market right now and why you think it would be a decent uh, area to invest in for uh, for investors. Yeah, yeah, for sure, Jeff. And you're right. I mean, we do hear that so much. Uh, why would you buy bonds now? You know, it's obviously, it's it's following one of the worst starts for bonds ever. You know, a few things, and I'll try to be uh, compliant here uh, with what I say, but uh, our bond portfolios today have a gross cash flow of around 5.5%. That figure is near close to where it is the high point has been over the last decade. And also, if you think about you know, generally what we discuss is our rough downside for our bond portfolios is 10%. We're right around there today from from the, the pullback in terms of our corporate bond price declines, including income. And generally speaking, on a forward-looking basis, if you're buying into the bond market after that type of decline, usually you have really good forward-looking returns. We like double B corporate bonds. We kind of discussed that in length uh, last podcast, but those are yielding 6%. Triple B corporate bonds are yielding close to 5%. Um, and what I'd say is the yield relative to the fundamentals on the corporate side, you know, so looking at leverage, free cash flow generation, interest coverage ratios, you know, it's one of the most attractive times in terms of what you're paying relative to the underlying fundamentals of the companies. It's it's a really a, a pretty good time, I think, to be a buyer. Yields are in the upper quartile of history over the last 15. So I think it's a, a good time to lock in cash flows, particularly given the uncertainty of the economy and the volatility we're starting to see in the stock market. Um, on the short-term end, we like two- to three-year treasuries. The three-year treasury today yields 3.35%. That's an, a, a very attractive rate compared to where it was a few years ago, where it was well under 1%. I think it was even under 50 basis points. Um, so overall, I mean, you know, I think bonds are paying an attractive rate of return relative to the risk, particularly given the volatility on the equity market side. Yeah, when you talk about gross cash flows of five and a half percent, can you just break down what that means for uh, in layman's terms for 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 an investor? Well, yeah, I mean, well, for us, it's just you know, you look at when we buy a bond, what's the the yield to the worst possible scenario. So we look at yield to worst. Sometimes there's call dates. Sometimes there's maturity dates without a call date. And we're just looking at what's the yield to the worst scenario for the bond, whether it's called right away 
or whether it's um, you know held to maturity and we take kind of the the lowest yield there and then the gross just means it's you know before our management fee um, so the the five and a half percent is kind of a gross cash flow number that our income portfolios are yielding today I want to ask one more follow-up to this because I'm just using you as an educational piece on on the bond market so I think very often I talk to clients, I talk to investors, and they look at their bonds and specifically the coupons of their bonds, and they think that's the current yield, right? And so they'll see us buy or sell a bond and they'll wonder, well, why are you getting rid of that one when it's paying me whatever, five or 5%, right? But where do you see the, miscon- uh, the misconception or, or maybe the miss on that in the eyes of some uh, and, and in a way that you would uh, you could help maybe articulate how you view uh, the, the value in bonds. I think that can be a, a common misconception in the muni world. A lot of times munis are issued at premiums. And what that essentially means is you're paying more than you're going to get back over time. So say, for instance, you have a muni bond that's priced at 104, $104. Um, at maturity, you're going to get back $100 and it might be paying you 5%. Um, therefore, you're paying, you're getting paid 5%, but you're losing $4. So the net return to you is 1%. A lot of times people look at that bond and think I'm getting paid 5%, where in fact, they're only getting 1% on a one-year maturity. And not only that, a lot of times statements show a current yield, um, which is basically the coupon over the price. So that current yield would really show like a 4.7% current yield. So it's kind of a confusing thing, but the price of the bond and the coupon need to be considered. Um, a lot of times today we're buying bonds at big discounts that, you know, for instance, like Gehrman's talking about, a lot of investment grade bonds refinanced during 2020 and 2021. So investment grade companies might have issued a five, 10 year bond at a 3% coupon. Today, the market rate on those bonds is 5%. So depending on the maturity, those bonds might be trading 80 cents on the dollar. You're going to be paid $3 per year, but over the life of the bond, you're also going to get $20 of return back because you paid 80 and you're receiving $100. Um, But I think you know the the misconception really comes when when there's a big premium you see the big coupon and the yield is far less than what the coupon really would indicate let me know if that didn't make sense jeff no i think that's really helpful i mean i think that's one of the huge breakdowns that i see and i didn't mean to go off on such a tangent but since you brought it up uh one of the huge pitfalls that i see in retail investors especially on the bond side is just a lack of understanding of how they actually work right i think many investors i talk to that are do-it-yourself you know diy investors you know or investors that manage a portion of their portfolio but have managers outside of that i think they're pretty good for the most part at analyzing uh, you know valuations and attractiveness of different stocks and the story and the and the balance sheets and the and the boards and all that stuff. But when it comes to the bond side, I just rarely find that a do-it-yourself investor has the sophistication uh, and the understanding of how the bond market works in the way that that I think many professional bond managers do. So the reason why I press you on that is I just think more education is needed in this space. Um, yep. And and uh, I think with more education and more insight, I think moves and approach 
appropriate moves in this environment become more obvious. So let's finish with this uh, near term outlook on the market. Jeff, I'll go with you on this one. Kind of what's we talked a little bit about this already, but kind of what's our near term outlook on the market, how we adjust and maybe a final comment on how we're adjusting portfolios between now and year end. Uh, and then if you want to add a commentary on maybe uh, beyond that. So I'll have you sure it off here. Yeah, into this latest rally, we've certainly de-risked the portfolios. Uh, we've sold some equities on our equity portfolios. In our income portfolios, we, we also, where we also, as you know, hold some stocks, we've we've lightened up there just to reduce the risk level of the portfolios. Um, Garman touched on this, but I think the balance sheet is quite important. The Fed started quantitative tightening by letting $30 billion in treasuries roll off. Uh, per month and $17.5 billion in mortgage-backed securities. That figure is going to double starting this month. So it's going to be $60 billion of treasuries, $35 billion of mortgage-backed securities. We've discussed this quite a bit over the years, but there is an incredibly tight correlation with the stock market and the direction of the Fed balance sheet. You know, this has created volatility historically. It's also created opportunity. In 2011 and 2015, when the balance sheet flatlined and even started to move lower, when previously we've had some quantitative tightening, you had significant market volatility. But that also, if you look back, produced really good buying opportunities. You know, during the 2011 correction, it was a good buying opportunity. During the, during the 2015 correction, it was a good buying opportunity. So I'm hopeful this period is similar in that aspect. Uh, but near term, we have been raising a little bit of cash, just given the magnitude of the rally. You know, inflation's still elevated, um, growth is slowing. We have this. Fed that's raising rates. I think the the Jackson Hole meeting is going to be important, and you know it, it could be a bit more hawkish than the market is currently anticipating, and that could create some more volatility. But in addition, with the balance sheet, uh, you know, reducing liquidity in the market, you know, that could cause some downside between now and year end. One other thing that we pointed out in the chart book is the NASDAQ's off to its worst start, one of its worst starts of the year in the last 30 years. And one thing you'll notice in that chart, if you pull it up, is that when you have the first half being as weak as it has been, you know, more often than not, you finish off kind of soft too. So we are concerned a bit that, you know, we could have another down leg between now and year end, but we think that's going to be a really good buying opportunity as well. That's fantastic. Garman, any extra thoughts? Otherwise, I've got a bonus question for you, and we're, we're going to wrap this up. No, I mean, the only comment I'd make is, you know, kind of following up on Jeff's uh, comments, you, you know, one of the sectors that we're also kind of um, becoming more and more interested in is, is technology. Um, you know, overall, I think, you know, as Jeff mentioned, NASDAQ's been been very weak, and that, that tends to be kind of a harbinger for kind of weak second half uh, returns as well. But um, you're starting to see some real bargains in that space. So, although there will be, uh, there will be most likely anyway, um, some weakness in the near term. Um, you know that that space is also looking attractive. All right, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one at you, and then I'll give a little commentary on this. So, Garman, I want to know at what point in your life was like what was the trigger for you to really be interested in the world of finance, the world of investments. Do you remember a moment in time? Um, not necessarily. You know, I mean, obviously, I grew up in uh, kind of remembering the great financial crisis quite well. So um, there was always that kind of um, that influence, at least somewhere around me. Um, 
you know, in general, I think in school, um, gravitated towards a little bit more quantitative stuff. Um, but I also, you know, like the, the applications of, of what I learned. And so, um, you know, I ended up getting a degree in math and accounting. Um, so, um, overall, uh, finance was a good application of both. And, but yeah, unfortunately not, not an aha moment. I don't think. Jeff, yeah, Jeff Otis, well, quick, quick, <laughs> yeah. quick, quick add on there. I think maybe an ex-employee of Evergreen uh, may have had an impact <laughs> on Gehrman's life too. Yeah, very much could have been. Uh, we were fortunate to work with Gehrman's mom for years, and she was so bright and talented, uh, and now is enjoying life uh, at home with her two little girls, and they're they're absolutely adorable and beautiful. And we're fortunate to now work with her son, who's equally as talented and equally as bright. So we're very fortunate to be connected to the right family. Um, I'll, I'll follow up on my question to Gehrman, and I just remember when I was 19. I was at uh, I was actually involved as a volunteer leader in a uh, organization called Young Life, which works with high school kids. And we ended up being at this guy's house, this family's house, I should say, in Lake Oswego, Oregon. And and I'm like, hey, so what about you? What do you do? And so it turns out this guy, Oliver Collins, uh, who goes by Ollie, he was a stockbroker at Smith Barney. I think I was 19 at the time. And I'm like, well, that sounds fascinating. Like, I want to learn more. And I'm like, do you guys do internships? And he's like, actually, I think we do. And so anyways, I kind of pursued that and ended up getting an internship at Smith Barney when I was 19 and worked that summer. This is after the sophomore year of, of college. And, you know, fast forward, here I am, you know, partner of a firm. I've been doing this now. Seems like I've been at Evergreen for 15 years. Both you guys, I appreciate you being on. Really phenomenal insights. Um, appreciate everybody's time and, and uh, for following along with us. And again, we'll get both you guys on at some point ahead. This was fantastic. So thank you guys. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, guys. Evergreen GovCal is a wealth management firm with offices in Bellevue, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and California's Bay Area. We provide investment management, tax compliance, family office, and retirement planning services. Evergreen is accepting applications for new clients who align with our firm's investment and planning approach. If you think you might be a fit with us, follow the link in the show notes to fill out our prospective client compatibility survey. Thank you.